Beta, 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 alanine. Beta alanine is in the house. When I first got to on it, this is one of the first supplements I wanted to bring on board because we didn't have it and it fucking works. Uh, we have a sports performance line now through our partnership with Exos, which means we get to sell some pretty basic regular products like creatine and glutamine. And you're probably thinking, well, everyone and their mom sells that shit. Why should I buy from you guys? But check this out. We invented, well, we didn't invent. We're using a awesome version of beta alanine that's time release. So that means for a lot of people, you're not going to experience the tingling sensation that most people associate with beta alanine as a negative side effect. But guess what, bitch? That shit lets you know it's working and it doesn't feel that bad. So long story short, whether you feel tingles or not, bottom line is we think we've developed a product that not only works, it's one of the most science-backed products ever created in sports performance, probably only second to creatine. Taken together, there's science that shows they work wonders, and they're an excellent addition to any pre-workout that we have. Make sure you check out beta alanine at onit.com slash podcast for another 10% off. We've got a very special double release episode for the podcast today. I've never done it before. Um, I don't know how much it changes the podcast. Well, I guess it does change the podcast a little bit. What this means is today's guest, Daniele Bolelli, who also has his own podcast. He's, I guess he has two podcasts. He's got the Drunken Taoist, which I'm a huge fan of, and he has History on Fire. So I've got a road trip planned here. I'm definitely going to be diving into History on Fire. Uh, but bottom line is, He's a phenomenal podcaster. He's been on the Joe Rogan Experience. He's a guy that I've listened to quite a few times. He podcasts with some of my favorite people on earth, like Duncan Trussell, which I mentioned in this podcast. And what's cool, I guess what makes this different, is that neither one of us is really steering the ship. Both of us have questions for one another. Both of us lead and, and steer the ship in a way at different times. And it's cool because we have... Uh, we have a good back and forth. And a lot of cool ideas and topics get covered from... Uh, a psilocybin mushroom experience that Daniele Bolelli just experienced and uh, martial arts and all sorts of other cool shit. I know you guys are going to dig this one. I had an absolute fucking blast with Daniele and I will for sure be running back more podcasts with him in the future. So I guess without further ado, let's just jump into the conversation. Let's get rolling. What's going on, Kyle? How are you, brother? Doing good. What's going on with you? Out in LA for Mastermind Weekend and, and hitting some podcasts. Wait. Yeah. Nice. I heard that uh, you got flaked on by good old Duncan Trussell. <laughs> Duncan yeah. flaky? That never happens. <laughs> How is that possible? You know what? I was I was happy because leading up to, you know, we, we got to hang out last time I was in town and right. we had a fucking like one of the best awesome. bar conversations I've ever had in my life. It was of the course. two of us sitting at a table few drinks lasted probably three hours and he's like fuck man we should have recorded that it was amazing you know i was like yeah of course. Like, all right i have one question will you come on my podcast and yeah. i'm like fuck yeah are you of kidding course. me please let's do it and so uh, i texted him a couple of times leading up to coming out and of course no reply right so my of wife's course. like look he lives in la he's busy yeah. just fucking call him so i yeah. called him he answered and uh you know we were cracking jokes back and forth and he's like yeah let's do it so we had the podcast scheduled for later today after this one. And uh, yeah, I just got the text in the parking lot when I pulled up that he's, he's got some shit going on with Netflix today. So and that's the gig. We will, we will move it to another date. That guy is one of those, uh, 
he's a he's a straight up genius, right? There's no argument. When you listen mm-hmm. to him speak, when you listen to the way he puts sentences together, it's it's just pure genius. And like all geniuses, you can expect a certain degree of madness there. Where it's like, <laughs> yeah, if you want a guy who's there at nine a.m. every day, probably you're not picking Duncan. You know, that's mm-hmm. not the you leave him for the genius stuff. I love the podcast you guys did on each other. So yeah, it's awesome. It's, I, I yeah. always have a good time chatting with. I mean, it's like how can you not? He's like he's he's hilarious. He's funny. He's smart. He probably murdered a drunken Taoist right at birth because he was our very first episode. And like on the very <laughs> first episode, yeah, and of course he's he started talking. This for sure, it's an unbelievably like the most disgusting conversation ever recorded. Yeah, just like his ads. No, no, yeah, he started about some <laughs> flashlight story about uh, leaving a flashlight out for days, and I was just like, oh Jesus, okay, okay, eighty percent of our audience has just gone who decided to tune in, <laughs> but it was hilarious. It was just like, you, you, that twenty percent was in. You hey, couldn't fucking and, get rid of yeah, them. Yeah, that's all. Stick around, right? <laughs> weeded out you weeded out the non-believers and kept everyone else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's jump into oh, you know what I wanted to ask you. Um, so I was listening to some of your podcasts, and you can um coach me through this now. So psychedelic experiences. Okay. My psychedelic experiences have been less than pleasant, to put it mildly. Or rather, you know, I've had my good ones where it's like you take a small amount of mushrooms like and it's all fun. And, yeah, or maybe a little more than a microdose, but it's all fun and games. It's mm-hmm. pretty colors and cool stuff and you laugh and it's all good stuff. It's not deep life transforming stuff, but it's awesome, right? And then I've tried the more therapeutic approach. The Okay, I'm here to deal with some real stuff yeah. yeah do the work and go a little heavy and that was just i mean I, i'll just sum it up and then yeah you can help me figure out wh- where did things go wrong it's like the first hour of that trip which was me crying into some poor therapist's lap for an hour that was by far the best the best part of the whole thing the next seven hours where I'm freaking out about I am absolutely sure that I'm dead and I'll never see my daughter again and all of that, that was a little less fun, right? Mm-hmm. And usually the way I hear it in all the cool psychedelic stories is that you go into the darkness, you get get darker, it gets uglier, and then you start climbing through from the other side and you come out reborn and life is good, right? And uh, the... Yeah, it's like... I'm going to turn that off. It's like a mini hero's journey. Right. right. And and in that one is like, that's not exactly the way it panned out, right? What ended up happening is I got darker and darker and darker and then stayed there for a while. And then eventually it ended. And I'm like, what the fuck happened to the other swing <laughs> of the arc? You know, I was supposed to come out reborn and life was good and all of that. What's yeah. going on? Yeah. Well, and I definitely, I have some thoughts for sure. Please um, share. <laughs> let's 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 start with... There's a quote I've heard from Dennis McKenna or Rick Doblin that basically said, like, people, there's no such thing as a bad trip. There's only hard, there's hard experiences. Okay. There's difficult experiences, right? <laughs> well, someone, for someone to have a bad trip, that means they think they're going to take something and feel a certain way. Right. And it doesn't go down like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Right? You have an so, expectation yeah, that doesn't get bad. I will take okay. this thing yeah. and it will make me laugh. I'll see beautiful colors, fill yeah. in the blank. It's going to be beautiful. Yeah. And then some shit comes up, like, maybe I face my own death right or i relive being raped or molested right. or fill in the blank negative thing sure that whatever's it's something that's still there right right and it's how you face that right so this in large part has to do with with setting 
Uh-huh. Now, I would ask you, like, how did you go into this? What was your mindset going into this? Those kind of things. Sure. That's so, important. Okay, let's play with that. So that's exactly what pissed me <laughs> off because the setting was designed to be, this wasn't a fun and game one. This was in a kind of therapeutic contest where it's like, okay, we know that there's some shit I need to deal with. Um, we know what that shit is. It's all about essentially fear of death, fear of loss, fear of lack of control, but really boils down to death primarily because you know my wife died and all that shit and stuff and so i know going in that that's the topic right i i have no illusion that it's gonna be fun and games i get it that it's gonna be it's probably gonna be a little rough but in my imagination is i'll run into the dragon slay the dragon and then i come out a conquering hero or at least if i don't come out a conquering hero at least i feel I didn't get just chewed by the dragon, spent eight hours through his digestive tract and shit out the other way, because that's not quite the way I envisioned it. You know? I think yeah. your exact quote um, was, I felt like a terrified animal drowning in an ocean of fear. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> how it was for eight hours with no upswing. And I'm just like, okay, you know, and granted, I'm sure that the, um, the lady running the session, sweet lady, I'm sure there could have been some things done a little differently to help it out because, again, I yeah, don't... So that's, that was the next thing I'm getting to. Your mindset going into it seems spot on. Right. And, and I've gone into ceremonies with, I don't want to you know, compare, but like a deeper, I wouldn't even say deeper. I've gone into ceremonies sad. I've gone into ceremonies depressed. Yeah. And like people would say like, you know, these things don't fix you, you fix you, mm-hmm. right? But if they can give you a new perspective and a new awareness, then that makes it worth it, right? It's yeah. still up to you to do the work after that. Yeah. Um, whatever container she's set, therapeutic or not, there are levels to right. the guides. There are levels to shaman. Of course. Right? And you've got fucking white belts that are teaching other people right. in the Amazon. Right. You know, that, that's happening yeah. in Peru. So stateside or wherever it was, like, Who knows? we're damn sure it's going to be... It's, it's, there's going to be that varying degree of skill set yeah. in their approach. And there's, you know, there's accompanying plants that can help that they would use tobacco with ayahuasca, mm-hmm. things like that. Tobacco works very well with psilocybin mushrooms or any tryptamine for that matter for something that can ground you yeah. like, like, all right, you're floating in outer space and yeah. shit's going on. Let's pull you back to earth and, and settle you down for a second. Tobacco works very well for that. That's good to know um, because, you know, people were like, oh, maybe you could step away. And what? I'm like, I couldn't move my feet. It's like, there was no, speaking of grounding, yeah, I badly needed that because I was yeah. in a whole other dimension. Yeah, and the other thing I would say too, and I felt this, I've experienced this on both sides, both as a participant and as a guide for others, mm-hmm. where when you're really tapped in and you're a clean instrument, there is a connection, almost like Wi-Fi to everyone in the room. Right. And I've seen this at the head of the table when I'm helping people and I've, and I've participated in this in ayahuasca sessions where I was struggling. And, you know, for example, one of the hardest experiences I ever had, I'm, I'm feeling like this draw and I stopped breathing and mm. I fucking just squeezed my entire body started to flex. And right then I felt a hand on my foot, which means before that happened, the shaman sent his apprentice to come get me and bring me up mm-hmm. ahead of time. Right. Right? Like, so deep connection. Yeah. Like they yeah. talk about in books, like uh, The Cosmic Serpent by Jeremy Narby. Like very real. Right. And, you know, he brings me up. He says, what's going on right now? I tell him everything. He blows a shit ton of smoke over me and sings to me a beautiful Icaros. And then I'm right as rain. Okay. Right. So you can steer the ship. And I think in moments like that, and I've, I certainly don't have the skill set to sing Icaros to people and things like that. But, you know, knowing who needs what, when they need it. 
you know, like um, it's rather important. Right? John Wolf, John Wolf's been on your show, right? Mm-hmm. There was a time where we were in ceremony together, and I came and I just put my left hand over his heart for a twelve-minute song, and that's what he fucking needed, right? You know, and he said, and he thanked me hours later. He said, "Man, like you, like I was calling to you, yeah, in my mind, yeah. and you came over and put your hand on my heart." So there's things like that where, if the level of God is there and they're present, right they can fucking help you work through the tough spot, right? Yeah. And there's no doubt with the death of your wife and the ultimate fear of where your daughter ends up right. without a father or without with who, you know, right? That shit's going to come up. I mean, it's a common trip report for people in ayahuasca yeah. to experience the death of themselves. Aubrey, before he did ayahuasca, experienced that with mm-hmm. mushrooms and MDMA. He said he, he was he's a fear of bugs too. Yep. He's kind of a germaphobe and he was riding this fucking giant cobra down through the Amazon and every bug came out of the woodwork and just ate away his flesh, his bones, his muscle, everything wow. until he realized, holy shit, I'm still here. I'm still yeah. on the back of this serpent riding. And he knew he wasn't his body then for the first time. Right. Right. Whatever consciousness yeah. is, I'm that thing. Right. So there is beauty in those things. But again, that's also perspective. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, like there's in a true ceremony, it's often silent. And you have this noble silence where I'm going to stay meditative. I'm not going to look around the room and see what anybody's up to. I'm just going to stay in my own space. Right. But you're still allowed to talk to the shaman or whoever's at the head of the table and say like, hey, this is some shit I'm working yeah. on and I can't get past it. Of course. And, um, you know, in, in, in many ceremonies and nights with my wife, oftentimes that'll be the case where she's like, I'm really sorry, but I need to talk to you. And I'm like, no, it's our ceremony. Of course. It's not my ceremony. It's ours. Yeah. And I'll talk her through things, but uh, it's not about, you know, talking the whole time, because even as you listen to me, mm-hmm. that's the external coming in. Mm-hmm. The beauty is in being able to work through these things internally and finding yourself through the breath yeah. or some type of tool that you have that mm-hmm. allows you to have peace and process and move, right? And a lot of the things, a lot of the times where I struggle, it'll be returning to breath work, or doing yoga and like physically releasing some shit in my body, yeah. stress, whatever I'm holding on to yeah. that I may have cognitively said like, okay, that no longer serves me. I'm good. It's gone, but it's still stuck in me right. somewhere. Right. It's, so let yeah. me, yeah, let me fucking work this out a little bit of and breathe through it. Right. That makes sense. That actually make a lot of sense. So it makes me want to go visit that lady again yeah. saying, Hey, what the hell? It's what also, just- it's, it's time in too. Right. Yeah. You know, like, like you think about, we were just talking about, uh, what was her name? The lady. Yeah. The oh, fighter. no, my, uh, my girlfriend, yeah. Savannah. Yeah. It's time in, right? Yeah. So cage time, ring mm-hmm. time. The difference between her, her in her next fight, the opponent having a 10-3 yeah. record versus who, her at 2-0. and oh, That's a lot of difference in cage time. But the more experience you have, even on microdosing and yeah. then working your way up baby step by baby step till you're in the deep water, that time in gives you the ability to navigate the waters. I think, I don't know. Tell me if this sound just, because uh, you're giving me an excellent excuse for my wimpiness. So I think that <laughs> I like that already, but let's see if that's true or not. Because I'm kind of a big believer in baby steps in everything, where it's like, look, if it's more than you can chew, start really what you can handle. What is mildly challenging and you can handle. And then when you stretch enough, okay, then you can go an inch further. Like, for example, when I was teaching my daughter how to ride a bike. And like, man, I mean, some kids don't give a crap. They just hop on a bike and go. And if they crash, they just get back up and they are fine, right? She was clearly fearful about it, right? She was a bit tense. She didn't want to try things. So I was like, look, I'm going to make sure that you do not fall, which is kind of almost impossible when you're teaching somebody how to ride a bike because that's part of the game is you you fall. That's normal. 
But I was like, hey, if that's what, if you're not going to do it, if that's the alternative that you're just digging in your heel, okay, let's figure out where you're at. The baby step is we're going to run, I'm going to run next to you and I'm going to hold the front of the bike. So there's no way you fall. I can lift it up with you on top. That's not going to be an issue. It's not the most fun for me because I have to run like a bastard for a mile, but you know, I can, (laughs) it's okay. We can do that that way. And then I did it. And the next day, and the day after, and the day after, and the day after, and the day after. After 10 days, of course, she's relaxed. She's mm-hmm. like, okay, we've done this 10 times. I know I'm not going to get hurt. Okay, now you can try to let go of your hand for three seconds at a time. Baby step, right? I'm still doing all the work, but it's like now she's getting used to, okay, a tiny little less control. And then more, and then more, and then more. Now, not... I'm not totally sold that that's the best way to go about it because maybe there is something to be learned by crashing and falling and learning how to deal with that experience. But at the same time, I saw her just gaining confidence. And then eventually she got to the point where it's like, okay, I'm riding everywhere. I can do whatever. I have no fear of this thing, which again, maybe is wrong because you should have a healthy fear of, hey, I did crash and did not feel good. But I'm not sure. That seems to be... Maybe because she picks it up from me, but that seems to be my approach. Is like, why do I have to dive into the deep end right away? Can't we just go, you know, <laughs> let's get a little water on my foot. Let's dive yeah. slowly Scale up it. it. And what do you think? Because of course there are benefits to both approaches. But again, in my experience, at least with the psychedelic part, having done the deep dive and not exactly having felt like it served me very well, do you think that like for maybe just not for everybody, but for my psychological makeup, the whole baby step would be a better setup or here's, am I just, having... here's what I think about that first, like there are many paths lead up the mountain. There's no right or wrong when it comes mm-hmm. to any of this shit. My parents threw me in a pool without, without anyone right. around me to teach me how to swim. Right. Right. And then dove in and got me yeah. in and just kept doing that till I was holding my breath fine and, and I was fine. Right. That's how I learned how to swim. I've never done that with my son, and I won't do that with my son. Right. Like, let's get you a teacher. Let's put you in some fucking yeah, classes. I'm not tossing you in the yeah. deep end, right? Um, both are fair approaches. In my opinion, I've gotten a ton of perspective change, and you know, I've figured out and solved a lot of problems on a very low dose of LSD or psilocybin. Right. But nothing compares to the deep work with ayahuasca or you know what Terrence McKenna would call a heroic dose yeah. of mushrooms. Five of grams, yeah, round up with some green juice and some something acidic like pineapple to help break right. it down, you know, that in darkness at night with just a guide or a loved one and some easy music. Yeah, that's, that's what I that's did. And I was like, fucking yank the wheels off, you know, and right. see where you're going to go. You know, like you pull the curtain back, whatever's there, oh, yeah. all is revealed. Yep. Right? So it is, it is perspective. And I think for you, it's about reframing your perspective of what happened in that experience. Mm-hmm. So that way you have the balls to go forward and try again. Right. Right. And then also to know, Let's set a different container with someone else, mm-hmm. right? Somebody who may have more experience going on the rabbit hole or just has a different approach, right? Right. Somebody that can be more hands-on in, in how they guide you. Sure. And through that, I mean, shit, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking the deep dive. You're not going to die physically. Sure. That's right. fucking impossible at five grams, right? Right, unless you decide to run out and jump out of a window in a five-story building, like you're not going to die from that. Even that, like there was a moment there where I was like, in the back of my mind, I was like, 
please make sure you don't murder this lady. Whatever you do, do not kill this woman. That's going to be so bad. It's like, but there was that thing in me when, you know, you are in, in rage, angry, sad, hurt, where it's like, yeah, my control of my subconscious now is about 0.01. And my subconscious can get pretty dark. So I was like, but you're not. always in control, though, you know? Yeah, I a, felt like like the control was like this thin, thing. Yeah, I was like, line. oh, shit, I do not want to please. Whatever happens, just do not kill this woman. That would be bad karma. There was a ceremony I did with, um, with Aubrey and another person, and it was the only ceremony I've ever gone into, like, really sad. Mm-hmm. I was going through some stuff with my wife, and uh, I was really sad entering into it, and I knew, like, all right, I'll, some, some things will be revealed. It was very painful because mushrooms accentuated the sadness and I fucking cried for hours and I was doing yoga, trying to get rid of it. And it just stuck with me. And this message came in that was very clear. You can be sad as long as you want to be. Mm. You can be sad for as long as you need to be. And that was it. And then it it just hit me like, I'm in control of this. Mm -hmm. I'm in control of this experience. I'm in control of my experience in life on how I view it. Right. Right. The, The lens in which I look through the world that's up to me. Right. And so like that gave me the permission to say, okay, it was okay to be said. I think I processed that and I could move on. You know, let me ask you then about this. Cause I completely get it. And it makes sense what you're saying. I think what I find myself in is kind of a catch 22 type of thing where it's like, I go in because I understand that there's a substratum of fear in me that I don't like to have and that I do carry and it influences my decision. It influences my thinking. It influences how I am inevitably in getting there that fear is gonna blow up schwarzenegger style and it's gonna be huge and powerful and right in your face but then it crashes me and then it reinforces even more fear because it's kind of like yeah that's it that's why i told you that you should be afraid you know and that is like <laughs> yeah. oh i just made it stronger it's a now vicious okay. cycle, yeah. and so it's like i get the idea is like in reality you are controlling it there's no need for you to feel it but it's kind of like you know that insomniac trouble is like you know, anybody will tell you, yeah, you need sleep. And he's like, yeah, I got that part. We agree there. But how? Because I'm, I go there and my eyes are, you know, it's like, I don't have insomnia. But, you know, to give something that's mm-hmm. tangible for a lot of people who may not be super into psychedelics is how do you deal with something that rationally you know that is the wrong thing? Rationally, you know that you should handle it a different way. Rationally, you know that you have control and it's just a way of reframing your mind but you can't find the switch. You so know? then you, then it's about, you know, like, and think about this in jujitsu, who are the best jujitsu players in the world? The masters of the basics, mm-hmm. right? They might know some cool shit yeah. and have a flashy move once or twice, but they're so good at the basics, yeah. right? So why do we do jujitsu in the first place? Why do we compete? Yeah. Why do we put ourselves in harm's way no, or make that. ourselves uncomfortable? Why do we do the cold bath? All these things train that like a muscle, like Duncan yeah. talking about meditation, right? Can I find space can i create space to quiet that fucking chatter mm-hmm. right so if we can strengthen those skill sets going into it and we know very basic things like how to return to parasympathetic breathing okay where i might inhale through the nose for four seconds pause and exhale for eight seconds mm-hmm. out of the nose tongue pressed to the roof of the mouth yeah that shit works anywhere right that works if you get cut off in traffic of and you're driving that works if your boss or your wife are yelling at you like that always fucking works because yeah. it's a way we hack our own neurochemistry, mm-hmm. right? That shit still applies in psychedelic ceremonies. Right. Very much so. And in fact, I think it's magnified mm. to a degree because whatever you're expressing through intention, you steer the ship. And mm. if the intention is 
fuck, I'm feeling all this fear or I'm feeling all this sadness and pain and I don't want to feel it anymore. I acknowledge it. It's not enough to acknowledge it and say, I don't want that. You have to work through that. And what are the ways we work through that? Through various forms of release. That might be crying. That might be shaking. That might be puking or shitting or purging. And it might be, let me breathe this Mm -hmm. out and just release it through the breath. And as you release it through the breath, then it becomes more palpable. And Mm. then you get a hold on it. And then, okay, all right, things are more manageable now. And you refer to breath work already a couple of times. And I know that that's something that you're very into. And that seems something that, yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, we all breathe and the quality of our breathing makes a huge difference in your state of consciousness. I think everybody can, as a, I mean, that's why even like on a superficial level, people take, take a deep breath, which, you know, we use it even metaphorically when in reality is, yeah, take a deep breath has a big impact on your physiology. There's no argument, right? So in that sense is, uh, how did you get into, like, can you tell me a little bit more about your breathwork experience, what you have done, how you use it? Yeah, I think I first learned some forms of breathwork in fighting. I had two sports psychologists. Uh, one helped me with visualization and, and really being comfortable in all the days leading up to mm-hmm. the fight. You know, things I was working on with, um, I would panic at the weigh-ins. Mm-hmm. You know, I would fucking panic the entire time I was standing in line to go on stage. Right. Even though I was on weight, yeah. just being next to my opponent would yeah. freak me the fuck out. Yeah. Panic on my way to the cage, all those things. So we worked through that. And then my other sports psychologist worked with me on breath work and how to quiet my mind in the storm, right? And I think that some very basic things like four seconds in, seven seconds hold, eight seconds out, or 10, 10, 10, you know, right. 10, 10 in, 10 yeah. hold, 10 out. Box breathing even, five, 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 where you've got a hold after the inhale and a hold yep. after the exhale. All that stuff works. But it, and it showed me like, okay, this is a way that I can kind of hack control over mm-hmm. my nervous system and how I feel. And then I heard Wim Hof on Joe Rogan's, pushed pause, immediately hit 50 deep breaths, of course. hit a breath hold, and I fucking felt high. Right. Oh, like yeah. I felt high on yep. my own supply, like he says. Like, and I was like, yep. fuck, man. And it's true. <laughs> Feeling is believing, right? Yep. You can feel different. You know it works. It doesn't matter what someone tells you on paper or what I, study there is, right? I, I had the exact same experience, but I had a bad idea that I listened when I was at the wheel. In the car. So I was like, oh, shit, I'm about <laughs> to crash here. I was like, driving too. I, like, I didn't hold that long. Right? <laughs> yeah. But I wasn't going for a record hold time. Yeah, because it's like, um, whoa, I'm seeing double uh-huh, Yeah, hands start getting yeah. charged while you're holding the steering wheel. But um, I don't recommend that to people. No. Uh, <laughs> Point is, like, it, it showed me, like, oh, there's this whole other avenue here. And then um, I got to Dr. Kelly Sturette, who does um, Becoming a Supple Leopard and Mobility Wad, and he's, he's authored a few books now. But um, he got me in with the folks at XPT up in Malibu. Mm-hmm. So Gabby Reesler at Hamilton. And when I got there, Brian McKenzie was kind of their head of breath. And he had basically taken all these different modalities of breath work from uh, Bachenko method in Russia to Wim Hof to just, you know, nasal breathing to how we prime for training, how we open up physically through the psoas and hip flexors and diaphragm so we can actually take a deep breath, Mm -hmm. all of that shit. And it was the most comprehensive look at breathing that I had ever seen. Like this is how we're going to warm up the body to start breathing first thing in the morning. Contrast therapy between hot and cold sauna, you know, 220 degrees hot sauna for 15 minutes three minutes in, in 32 degree ice water, you know, and we got three rounds of that. Right. That's how you wake up. That's yeah. your fucking wow. morning coffee. You know what I'm saying? That would wake you then up. breath yes. work, right? Yeah. Like. yeah. So it was, <laughs> it was fully immersive. And from there it was like, oh shit, like 
Wim Hof's amazing. I just met him for the first time uh, two days ago and we got to do breath work and, and he's been an absolute game changer in my life. But to see like, that's just one component, mm-hmm. you know, like Wim Hof is mushrooms and the yep. intranasal breath work is ayahuasca. And they got all these different yep. tools in the toolbox that come with that. And there's really no limit to this because we're mm-hmm. just now piecing this together from a performance standpoint, from yep. a meditation standpoint. And I think um, there are people that that that's their focus, just yep. like a black belt in jujitsu. You know, right. we had Rob Wilson on the show from Art of Breath, who's, you know, co-founded the breathing with Brian McKenzie. And they they do they offer stuff online, but having them out on it where they could put us through like a full day seminar. Again, that just reinstilled like mm-hmm. this is how I'll do this. And um Oftentimes, you know, I find where when life gets stressful, like I have to lean on the tools, oh, yeah, whether that's of course. psychedelics or breathing, but I also need my daily. You can't do psychedelics every day. Right. You know, if you do, your body will downregulate it quickly yeah, and you won't go. have the same experience, right? But breathing and meditation and walking meditation and all these different forms, Tai Chi, Qigong, that can be a daily practice mm. and I can just have a rotation of whatever it is. I'm not going to sit quietly in a room every fucking day if i'm sure. antsy and charged i need to move yeah but i can get outside and walk a mile doing nose breathing i can come back in and do some wim hof and i can mm-hmm. change my neurochemistry by paying attention and being mindful of my body and mind i dig that so do you have a bunch of tools that are also the anchors for the other stuff the stuff mm-hmm. that kind of bring you back to base where it's like okay i'm in a good place i'm back where i need to be now yeah. i can go out and challenge the dragon again because i I, I got back to center first. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty damn important because if you're out uh, dragon fighting with no center, that gets a little sketchy, definitely. Yeah. Bruce Lee, don't fight angry. Right, right, right. right. Like you got to be calm and centered and just take things yeah. as they come so that way you can react quickly. Which again, is the, the theory make perfect sense. But even more important than the theory in what you're saying is it is how you do it. Because it's like, yeah, of course you should be able to stay focused and center. But when you're not... And suddenly it's like, oh, man, I should be doing this and I'm not doing it. And, you know, it makes it even worse because you're telling yourself how much you suck, how you're yeah, not you're doing the right I thing. I had plenty of fights like that. Plenty right? of fights in the UFC like that. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm getting hit too much. But, Fuck, if I get taken down again, I'm going to lose. You know, <laughs> rather than this is how I get back to my feet, exactly. which is what I should be thinking about. Yeah. Right. To have that thing of like, okay, plan A. This is what we do in this situation. This is the safety stuff. This is the stuff that works high percentage of the time, you know. And so I guess what you're saying is that you are you have developed over time this set of tools that are the, from the more challenging ones that are good once in a while and they are good when you're ready for them to the more mellow stuff that's more daily stuff that changes you already and get you ready for further challenges. That make a lot of sense because then you have you know what your way back to center is rather than kind of hoping that you hit it because you listen to the right music or you are in the right frame of mind and you're just brain that you land in the right spot you know how to take yourself back to the right spot that's uh, it interests me to what you are saying about the sports psychologist because i mean the, the experience you described now most people listening right now are not gonna get in the cage i would dare to say most people listening maybe are not gonna go for a heroic dose of psychedelics maybe maybe not but in either case, there would be a lot of people for whom these are foreign experiences who are never going to try these things. So it's kind of like, well, wh- what do I have to do? What do I learn from it? You know, what's the. Well, to me, what's interesting is that you put yourself in situations that are really sort of pushing the limit of uh, a lot of emotions. 
You know, it's like he, it's easy to hide a certain emotion. It's easy to pretend that fear is not a big deal if you're hanging out in your garden and there are no problems, right? It's like it may still be there. It may still be working on you from the inside, but it's not right in your face screaming at you where you can't ignore it, you know? The experiences you have gone for is when fear shows up, when inch from your nose is screaming in your face and you cannot ignore it. And, you know, no matter how much you tell yourself, I shouldn't be afraid. He's like, yeah, thanks. That's nice. But, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, this is the reality. It interests me, this idea. Like, tell me a little bit more, if you don't mind, about um, the sports psychology experience. Like, how these guys, through visualization... I mean, I understood the breathwork part. That sounds awesome, absolutely. About the switching frame of mind. Because, again, it's hard to... It's easy if we're all relaxed and happy to somebody can tell you something that is like, oh, that's a good idea. That's great. That's purely on a rational level. But when emotionally, you're in an emotional space where it's like, yeah, I've read every damn book on the topic there is. I don't give a crap. Right now I'm scared shitless and I feel like my heart is just jumping out of my chest. You can't convince just the mind. You have to convince everything else that go with it in order for you to be able to make that switch. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, how would these guys walk you through it and not just walk you then you would test it then you would yeah. see it under extreme pressure how those ideas work yeah i think with with the visualization it actually came pretty easy to me mm. and one of the things we would do you know the, the concept was there's a couple concepts one it's time in right like how many times i visualize if i do it every morning when i wake up and every evening before i go to bed every day leading up to the fight for eight weeks that's a lot of time where I've already done the walkout to the cage. I've already done right. uh, standing next to the guy in my fucking chonies as we're about to get on stage and weigh in with one another. Right. right. So you frame that of what you're, the things you know you're going to have to do. I know I'm going to have to sign 150 posters, right? And that's a nerve-wracking thing too, right, when you get in off the plane. All those experiences – Spend time there. Spend enough time there to where it's not like, fuck, I'm here again. That means I fight in three days. Yeah. Right? But then also, you know, we had this guy on the podcast, and I, I didn't realize it at the time, but there's been a lot in my life that I do that flows with what this guy is about. Dr. Isaiah Henkel, he has a TED Talk called Start With The End In Mind. Mm. So that's what you fucking do. You start with the end in mind of how you want it to look, right? And then you basically frame that what are the ways to get to that? So if, if my goal is to be loose and relaxed and calm and maybe even excited and happy and joyful at the weigh-ins, uh -huh. which is a good fucking place to be in, right? Yep. How do I, how do I, what do I feel? Well, mm -hmm. let's feel that. Let's feel giddy and excited. Let's fucking dance and move and be yep. loose and shadow box and slap my coach on the ass and fucking crack jokes with my opponent and just let's break the ice a yep. little, right? And whether their response is standoffish or whether they, that loosens them up and they laugh yeah. with me, all that's okay too, right? But experience those things in the visualization. Mm -hmm. Actually feel it. Yeah. Feel what that feels like. And then when I go through it, it was, it was unbelievable how mm. easy that became. Now, there were still fights where I might have been calm walking in the cage, but the second I get hit, I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go. Of course. As far as like keeping that you know, those base layers of stress down and all the days that lead up to the fight, I got really good at that. Okay, and it, well, and that's it, huge. And it does come down to, you know, start with the end in mind. And then once you frame that, it becomes easier. But but visualization isn't just seeing myself walk to the cage. It's, it's feeling all the feels. It's slapping mm -hmm. fives with people. It's looking out and seeing my dad with a thumb up. It's all that shit. Yeah. 
you know it's hearing the music the 1980s pop that's fucking making me laugh and skip on my way to the cage it's all those things so in that sense the more real you make your visualization the more real it becomes in the effect it has on your mind your body and everything else it's time in right speaking of the 80s obviously since you experienced them the uh, nancy reagan just say no uh, combined with the incredible amount of propaganda that went with LSD and psychedelics in general. Were you fearful at first? Were you wary? And what was kind of your first experience? Where did you put your toe in the water first? Well, I'm sure it wasn't a heroic dose. <laughs> or maybe uh, accidentally it was. There, there, there's a couple of things. I didn't do any drugs in high school. And mm-hmm. then I, I was going to guess I would that. say, you know, my parents, my, my dad used athletics. And it's funny because both my parents did a shit ton of drugs. <laughs> but they used athletics like, you know, if you smoke weed, it'll make your balls smaller and your testosterone will go down. And you won't recover and you won't play football, you know, and all this shit. So right. you got a good angle. And then I think... um I think I tried pot when I was 16. So that would have been high school, but it wasn't like I really got into it. It was like, no, this is kind of fucking weird. And I'm, I'm naturally extroverted and I always become an introvert on cannabis. So like maybe that, maybe it's not for me, but I'd see kids eating mushrooms and shit. And they're like, you want some mushrooms, man? And be like, no, that'll fry your fucking brain. Like I bought into all the propaganda. Right. And then, um, somewhere in college, you know, when I became a fan of cannabis, I realized probably the rest of this stuff is bullshit too you know, probably yeah. is yeah. right. And there wasn't a ton of science out yet. It's not like kind of now where we're, we're back in this psychedelic Renaissance. It certainly wasn't there at that point, but, uh, I had spoken to enough people that were into cannabis that also were like, dude, you should try mushrooms. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. And, um, you know, I can backtrack to my first big mushroom experience in high school, which was the wrong way to do it. And then I'll fast forward to the first time I really felt something special. So high school, we go to a house party and my buddy's supposed to bring mushrooms and he calls me and he's like, oh, I'm not going to be able to get them. And I'm like, all right, whatever. So I start pounding 40s. I have two 40s of beer Ooh. Ooh. and I'm, and I hot box a blunt with one other guy. Ooh. And I would, I was so fucked up. I would have projectile vomited from that alone. Of course. He shows up to the party 30 minutes later and says, yo, I was able to get the mushrooms. So <laughs> oh, these no. are wet, wow. full mushrooms, not yet dried, fresh picked, hydroponically grown. I cut them up and this is the wrong way to do it. Also, I cut them up and I throw them on a pizza and I eat the whole fucking pizza. Oh my God. At the same time, we have a stripper coming this for, our, for our buddy who's a birthday. And the stripper shows up and, you know, she does a little dance. She moves around the room. She's like, all right, who's the birthday boy? And all my buddies know what's up. So they're like Kingsbury. And they all point at me and I'm like, fuck man. So she pulls me out in the center of the room she throws a mask on, oh, like an no. old president's mask, like, like point break. <laughs> this you know? is getting better by the second. <laughs> Pulls my pants down and shaves one ass cheek in front of everybody and is spinning me around. So I'm, fuck, I'm com- fuck, completely disoriented. Of course. And everything's kicking in now. Like it wasn't that bad up until yeah. that point. <sighs> then she's beating me in the face with a dildo. Then she pulls the mask off and everyone's laughing and it looked like demons mixed with alligators like Ooh. the most giant fucking teeth like <laughs> wow. and I'm like fuck and I start crying and I sprint out of the house I start projectile vomiting into a bush they lay me in a bed that I think is trying to swallow me for four to six hours wow. until I finally it passes and I fall asleep <laughs> I thought like I was going to suffocate in the bed can't yeah. wait to do right? that again so to, to your experience yeah. there was an experience that I had that there was no upside. Yeah. There was no specialness to it. There was no huge realization. Sure. The only benefit was that I didn't actually die. Yeah, right. That seems like it was a plus. horrific on yeah. every level. 
And, you know, fast forward to me being in college, have a different framework, a little bit more respect for the plant, still hadn't learned what I've learned today, but enough to where maybe we can have a better experience. And, and I went up to Sedona, which is an incredible place in its own right, with a few friends. We were camping. We did mushrooms out in nature, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, with like a good group of people. And it was fucking spectacular. And that was the first time where I felt any sense of like spiritual connection. You know, there's something deeper than what I've experienced mm-hmm. in everyday life. And it reframed a lot of things that I had going on at that time because it was a pretty difficult time in my life. And to reframe those things in a way that was just positive and uplifting, that made me a fan. I'm sure. Going forward. And then, you know, I had a, um, everyone who's listening to my podcast obviously is going to air on both shows. They've heard me talk a lot about my coach, Wheatsy, who was really my first entry point into Native American wisdom and traditional plant uh-huh. medicine ceremonies, like how you would do these with respect and reverence and setting intention and meditating and prayer and all those things. And um, that dude, he, he showed me a different way. Of you course. Know? So like all my experiences with him, you know, with mushrooms in the sweat lodge and then with ayahuasca later, it's changed my life completely. Well, speaking of which, actually, that interests me a lot. But the, um, earlier you were mentioning saunas, and you know, I've heard uh, Rhonda Patrick talk about the benefits of saunas and all of that. And Singing then, the praises. <laughs> and then, the, um, you know, now we are talking about sweat lodges. So, I mean, of course, sweat lodges is different than a sauna, but it's still the principle from a purely physical standpoint. Forget all the, all the other side, the spiritual side that goes with it. But from a purely physical standpoint, you're dealing with heat, you're dealing with sweating, you're dealing that physiologically you're going through that process, right? Sweat lodge are the whole other layer that is you're not just going in in your towel talking about bullshit with a guy next to you in the sauna, you're actually going in with a focus and there's a whole, it's a ceremony, you know, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a whole other thing. How do you, I'm sure, you know, both are great in their own way, how do, like in your own experience, for example, like do you do you still like I'm sure you do both, but it's like do you have a favorite in that sense? Do you feel that like what you gain from one is very different from what you gain from the other? Or yeah, it's it's um the sauna is a practice that I can use meditatively. You know, mm-hmm. I can throw on headphones so I don't hear the bullshit chitter chatter around the gym. Yep. We have an infrared, it's a dual hot rock and infrared sauna on it. And I'm in that probably four or five days a week. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a practice I like to have. And that might range from 15 minutes post-workout to two 15 minute rounds with a five minute break. If I'm not working out that day, if I'm just doing mobility. Um, How high do you go in? uh, It's about 180 to 200. Even infrared goes that high? Well, the infrared, I think it's not, it would only get to 165 without the hot rocks, but both are on. So, oh, but you put the, I got you. Yeah, the okay. hot rocks will get it up, but it's still not like, like Gabby and Lairs will go to 220. It's just a different animal. Right. Um, you know, that those things build, like I want to get out. Yeah. Even 10 minutes in, I want to get out, right? right? So that builds that, that strengthens that muscle of yep. resistance and, and knowing there's a benefit here and having my water, you know, not trying to be dehydrated or take myself down. It's a good experience and I know what it does for me physiologically, mm-hmm. Right. The, the, the sweat lodge, the, whether it's the Anipi or the Temes call, that is spiritual. It is a ceremony mm. in its own right. You know, we would do seven rocks each round for four rounds, 28 rocks by the end. Yep. And each round is a different prayer round. Mm-hmm. Some may be for the earth itself. Some may be for our loved ones and our ancestors. Some may be for, I mean, it, it, and there's songs and drumming and all sorts of shit going on, but it's guided yep. in a very specific way. 
And in a lot of those experiences, what I feel is that it's similar to ayahuasca. It's not my experience. It's our experience. I'm Mm -hmm. not the only person in there. Of course. But even in the direction of my mind, there will be times and periods where I'm asked to look at myself and what do I need to work on? What do I want to pray for for me? But the vast majority is about other people. It's about all the plants and the animals. It's about everything we're connected to. It's about Gaia. It's about fucking the whole unit of our environment and everything that goes with that. And that that really pulls back a layer of like, it ain't all about me. Sure. It is bigger than that, you know? And that's from a very practical standpoint, something I think people can wrap their heads around, whether they're spiritual or not. Yeah. Like we're in a system that's fucking far greater than ourselves. Yep. We can appreciate that, you know? Yeah, I think that was always one of the things that I found uh, brilliant about Lakota concepts, this idea that is, yeah, it's for all my relations. It's yeah. uh, it's not just about your own individual life. It's not even about your tribe. It's not even about humans. It's like you're really t- talking about the universe as a whole. But it is about humans in a way. I mean, that's a species-saving concept right there. If we could return to that mindset, imagine oh, yeah. what an incredible world we would have. Yeah, and that just comes to like a deeper connection, you know? I mean... Everyone has friends that are a little bit more self-centered, a little bit more egocentric, probably not to the point where you wouldn't be friends with them, but, but like, yeah, I still like the guy. He's got good qualities, but he thinks about himself a lot. And then you have others that they're very giving. They're very conscientious of what everyone else's experience is. And they want to cultivate great experiences for everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the Don, uh, Don Howard Lawler out in Peru. We were with him for his second to last ceremony. He's retired now, but he always says, para el bien del todos, for the good of all. That's why you're yep. doing the fucking work. Of course. You know, like I'm, I've got some shit I want to work on in a mushroom ceremony in ayahuasca or fill in the blank. It's not just for me. Yeah. It's how I parent. Of course. It's how I husband. Of course. It's how I teach on the podcast. It's how I give back. Right. And I think that attitude is great to have in anything you do. Because ultimately, if it's not serving that purpose, then why are you doing it? You know, it's like, and that goes from uh, working out. Yeah, it's nice to have the, hey, I have biceps. I like to take pictures of my, you know, it's like, but that's <laughs> that's sweet. I'm not above that at all, you know. But on the other end, it's like, okay, but beside that, good about the biceps, we like that. But beside that, why else are you doing it for? And that idea that you are turning yourself into the human that you want to be, into the human that, as you put He's a better parent, he's a better friend, he's a better neighbor, he's a better all of that. Because that's not going to just affect, it is definitely going to affect the quality of your life, but it's also going to affect the quality of everyone, of the life of everyone you run into. They are going to be affected by the way you carry yourself. And so you're working on yourself, you using all the tools to make yourself the best version of the human being you can be will have an impact on everyone else too, to some degree. You know, it may be a small degree. If I have a five-minute interaction with somebody, it's not going to be probably life-changing, but maybe makes you smile on a day when you wouldn't have. You know, maybe does that one little thing that changes the quality of the day. Hell, that's good. I take that, you know? Yeah. And so I dig that that's probably a good concept to have in the back of your mind as it applies to anything, Right, whether it's applied to ceremony, whether it's applied to training, whether it applies to your job. And granted, you know, we all have to do shit that sometimes we don't want to do and they may not be, they may not look like the most conducive to growth ever. But it's like, hey, these are the cards you're given. How are you going to play them? You know, yes, some of it is bullshit, but can you find a way to turn it around so that this also serves you becoming a better human being? Maybe just by dealing with bullshit and making you more resilient and making you tougher. Uh, maybe by 
you know, that concept to me is um, people get, they fall in love with some activities and then they fall so in love with that activity that it becomes just self-referential. You know, I love jujitsu because I get better at jujitsu. It's like, yeah, I like jujitsu too, but that's not the point. Who cares? I mean, if he's really just about doing the greatest armbar, clap, 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 good job. But yeah, I'm I'm the best in the world. Yeah, you know, like that was a goal for a long time in in the UFC sure. for me, and then it was like I just want to be the best version of myself. Yeah, exactly. Because you know? it's like that's great. I get it, but there's more to it. You know, if all we are doing these four is for that same activity. It's about life. You know, the goal is life. This is an instrument. This is a tool, as you put it, you know, to, to make life better. This is not life itself. This is not, it doesn't end here. It doesn't end on the mat. It doesn't end in the context of a ceremony. It doesn't end in a sweat lodge. It doesn't end in anything, you know. These are just things that you do so that the way you carry yourself when you walk out on the street is different. When you talk to human beings is different. When, And of course, it's a lot easier said than done because it's like, you know, it's the classic thing. You can have your perfect moment where you feel like you got it. Everything is clicking. You are in the right space. Everything is flowing. Fucking and crystal then, clear. And then the first person <laughs> cuts you off in traffic and you're like, motherfucker, I hate you. And they're like, yeah, that's not what I was going with this for. You know, it's like, but still. So it's not that the work is ever done that way. It just gets easier. It's like muscle memory. You know, you have done it enough times. You yeah. you become better at it. But yeah, of course, it's like you can have peaks and valleys. You know, you have your moments when you really hit it and you know it and it's in you. And then when you lose it again. And But I dig what you're saying about always having a set of, a set of tools there that you can rely on to take you back to that place. Because I think every single person on earth, maybe I'm being overly optimistic but i do bet that every single person on earth experienced that one moment once in a while where everything clicks and they feel amazing and life is perfect and maybe once in their life maybe for they can have the shittiest life ever but maybe they just had the best sex ever one time and for those 30 seconds at the end they are like Everything is as it's supposed to be. Everything is amazing. Then, boom, that comes down and the rest of their life come back in and it sucks and it's horrible and all of that <laughs> the stuff, The lights right? go off because the bill's not paid and you're back to where you're... Totally. But everybody has those experiences at least once in a while, right? The key is, how do I get back there? Yeah, and cultivation. Exactly. How, what takes me back? And maybe not exactly back there because then you become the addict of, I just need to have amazing orgasm every second. It's that's like, like yeah, chasing that's, happiness, right. right? That's not the goal either. Exactly. But to go back to center, to go back to a place where you are in, maybe control is the wrong word, but where you have a say-so over how you carry yourself in life. And, and I dig this that, like in my mind, what, based on listening to you talk, like what everyone should do is really just jot down notes of, okay, what are my tools? What are the things that for me, are working, that take me back there. And if I don't have any, which one of the ones that other people are talking about seem more promising? Which ones, at least hearing about it, clicks with me? Where like, hey, I like to try that. I, I need to... Because I think if you have those things written out, if you have them there for you, then it becomes so much easier not to fall off the wagon, so to speak, not to just suddenly be completely off track and not find your Along way back Along the ride home. of your own emotional state. Yep, big time. You talked with Duncan about some of the difference between Taoism and Buddhism, mm -hmm. and I've gathered a lot from both of those. 
you know, uh, yep. practices or yep. ideas and concepts. What do you, I mean, and it's in my mind right now, I'm thinking about like cultivation of tools and how we, how we take mindset into things. What are some of the things that you've taken from Taoism and Buddhism that have really stuck with you? I think I tend to be, I'm ultra sensitive and tend to be emotionally intense, which has its benefits, but also you burn out that way. And so the ability to take a deep breath and let things go, the ability not to take things personally, the ability to flow ultimately, because is uh, the classic thing that the way we are built, you know, if somebody pushes, us, we push back. And I use push on a physical level, but of course in 99.9% .9 of cases we're talking about life pushes you in some way. And the instinct is you need to defend yourself and push back. And instead learning that more sort of the willow versus the oak type of approach, right? Mm -hmm. And to be able to sort of bend with it and flow with it and let things do and not take everything personal and not let everything get to the core of your emotions, which doesn't mean you are becoming cold, but you are able to observe life pushing you and have a second there where you have a pause, where you have a choice on how you're going to react. You're not just reacting on instinct where it's like, I got pushed, I need to push back. It's almost that, you know, red flag being waved in front of me. I'm a bull. I'm going to charge forward. You know, it's like, hey, I have a choice. This is a dumb guy with a red flag. Do I really want to just chase it? What Or how do I want to respond to this? How do I? I think that thing for me is key. And I have to remind myself of that all the time because, of course, you know, I'll say it. It will make perfect sense. I'll do it. And then I'll forget. And then I need to be reminded of it. And I need to be able to apply it when the time comes, you know. But that, the very concept, like which ultimately what Taoism is based on, that idea of way, you know, the, which people translate it as known action. It's not known action. It's not being passive. It's about effortless action. It's about using less uh, intensity to get everything done, and yet everything gets done, you know. That to me is such a obvious, and yet, it takes a lifetime to master kind of concept. Of course, it's that's never the, done. No, yeah, it never the work is. is never done. <laughs> and so it, that's why I can read, uh, I mean, the Tao Te Ching, for example, is 81 short poems. You can read the whole thing in an hour and a half, probably, maybe even less. But to really get, like, I've read it, I don't know. I don't even want to venture, I guess, like zillions of times because it's like every time maybe I don't get anything new, but just to be reminded, just mm. to maybe that one word this time clicks on a different level. I find that extremely useful. That's, uh, I mean, on a different day, maybe something else comes up, but that's what right now to me is like the very idea to me is key when it comes. And I don't really differentiate too much between Buddhism and Taoism in that sense, because to me at the highest level, the insights are very similar. Yeah. And truth is truth. It rings true no matter what. It's yep. what is like, a, are you familiar with Paul Selig? He's been on uh, Duncan Trussell. I've heard the podcast. name. I don't think I heard he's the incredible. So he's probably the only, um, channeler that i've ever experienced in person that i knew was fucking dialed in mm -hmm. and he's tapped into me on questions and answered shit about people he had never met before 100 and he did it for everyone in the room there's 12 people that i all knew all of us blown away um but what he says rings true to me and that's something that he says the guides speak is that what is true now is always true right it was always true and it will always be true so those universal truths are what we try to extract mm -hmm from the ancient wisdom right. and the ancient text, right? And that's, those are the things like that I've read. 
a new earth by Eckhart Tolle mm-hmm. 12 times. It's for the fucking reminder. Yeah, of course. Because like, like, there is no level of mastery where I read the book and I'm like, I got it. Yeah, now I, I, need, I never need to read it again. Yeah, you know? of course, totally. Yeah. And I think, in fact, it's funny because with books too, sometimes, not even the 12th time, even the first time you read it, you probably have heard those things a million times anyway. You probably know those things already. That's why they click with you because maybe they weren't put in those exact words, but you know that already. But the master is using the sentences the right way in a way that click with the greatest amount of people where I'm not telling you anything new. I'm telling you what you already know, but I'm saying it with words that help you remember in an easier way. You know, that to me is where it's at. It's like people are like, oh, that's not the most original concept. Who cares? Probably original concept ended with the fourth generation of cavemen. You know, it's like all the basic stuff was there, right? It's like, it's just how you repackage it in a way that is alive today so that it doesn't feel like some dusty old thing. It's in a way that clicks. And uh, yeah, man, to me it's like, as long as it get the job done, that's all I care about, you know? It's, yeah. It needs, to, it needs to work. That's what it boils down to. But um, yeah, I find that a lot in uh, Taoism for sure, Buddhism as well. I, you were mentioning Native American things. That's has been a huge influence in my life from early on. Um, so yeah, man, those things are... And, and I dig when, uh, when applied to Native American things. It's not just a book or a philosophy. It's also a practice, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of like one thing that I dug always about native things was that you don't get too many people who talk to you forever about the ideas, the ideas that are applied. Like when you look at most of the ceremonies, they involve the body in a big way. A sweat lodge, it involves the body in a big way. When you sun dance, it involves the body in a big way. When you do, there are a bunch of these things where it's a... Uh, before it convinces your mind, it convinces your body, and then it convinces your whole being that way. So you, you get these ideas not in a nerdy or philosophical way. You get them in a very practical kind of way. And that's part of what attracts me to them is the, the experience-driven aspect of it all. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think so many things, whether they're in physical practices like yoga or the sweat lodge or Sundance, which is brutal for anybody that yeah. doesn't know what actually goes on there <laughs> yeah that takes it to it's, a whole other yeah, level but, but even <clears throat> for the for for the people who aren't dancing the drummers that drum oh, yeah. from sun up to sundown like everyone who plays a part in that experience it's 100 percent maximum effort yep right but those experiences i think there is a layer of of commonality between that and the psychedelic experience in that let go mm-hmm. and surrender are very necessary at times if not the whole time sure and the sooner you can i mean it doesn't mean you just give up uh-huh. like in the sweat lodge i'm not just gonna collapse onto the fucking rocks in the middle of the thing that would be bad but there will be times where you know if i if i feel panicked i might just go in a child's pose and put my face on the earth you know and take a few deep breaths till i can sit back up yep. you know and experience the heat again but in that like you you have a degree of control in the non-control yep. and letting go of the need to control, yep. right? And I have a degree of, I have a degree of being right or correct when I let go of the need to be right. Mm-hmm. When if I'm in talking to somebody and I want to prove yep. that I'm right and they're wrong and that they fucked me up and they did this thing, whatever trigger I have right. is their fault. A, it's not. But B, we can accomplish much more when I relax a bit and I don't. I no longer need to be right. Yeah. 
Yeah, which is, uh, that's a tough one right there, right? Because in conversation, everybody wants to be right. Everybody wants to be acknowledged as, oh, good job, you had. And, you know, that's the thing that it's easy to say it's harder to put in practice, but it's so dumb because it's like that desire to, it's like, do we want to make sure that things work or do I want to insist that I'm right? Because it's like, who cares? Yeah, okay, you can be the one who sits on the throne of, and you pissed off everybody around you in the process of doing that. And everybody, oh yeah, you, are, you have a sharp intellect and you may be right, but you went about it in a way that you just pissed off everyone rather mm-hmm. than... It's like, that's to me, that's example of way, right? That idea of like, that insistence on being right is like push, 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 push. Whereas instead it's like, how can I reframe the conversation so that I don't have to pummel this person into submission? I, we can just find a way that we can both walk away from this happy. Yeah, That to me is 10 times more interesting than arguing your point so well that you're right. It's like, and once in a while, very rarely, I must say, I see people on social media do it where they get into those inevitable social media discussion. I'm right. No, fuck you. I'm right. It's Look at my point. Too, Here know? are my statistics. Yeah. Here is my this. And, you know, these people are going, 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 going. And it get, you know, each message gets progressively more aggressive and more tense and weirder. And one dude at one point was like, kind of like, he didn't say it that way because otherwise it sounds too obvious, but he basically went, okay, let's reframe here. You know, it's like, I see on your stuff, the music you like. Jesus, I love that stuff. I've been to the concert. Did you, oh, and you play guitar too? What do you like? And they start talking about stuff that has nothing to do with it. And suddenly they are best friends. And you're like, you are just about to kill each other over abortion. And now you're <laughs> like, uh, you are just inviting each other over. Wow, that was well played. Because, I mean, the thing is, you clearly were never going to agree. And you are clearly, go- this was going to get nastier every minute and nobody was going to walk away happy, right? And it didn't matter about evidence. None of that stuff mattered because nobody was ever going to concede. Never mind the fact that the topic, like most topics, is poorly complicated and is not necessarily 110% right one side. Or, But nothing good was going to come out of it. And the guy recognized it and just found like, okay, let's reframe and so that same exact interaction where we're just going to leave both people pissed off for the rest of the day, leave both people feel like, hey, you know what? I can disagree deeply about something I care about with a human being, and it doesn't mean we have to kill each other. It's actually a nice person, and we can have dinner together. Yeah, and you you see the connection through your humanness together, yep. right? I think uh, Rick Doblin was one of the first interviews I had, and he was talking about how the psychedelic renaissance is, it parallels in a lot of ways uh, the gay rights movement. Mm-hmm. And how demonized. Yeah. Just, I mean, I was here in California when prop eight was going through and there was ads on TV where it was like a gay math teacher that was, you know, teaching your kids to be gay at the same time. <laughs> it was the fucking most absurd What's ad I had ever seen in my fucking life on television. Of right. Course. Two what, and two equals gay. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. How will they yeah. ever divide? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, and this wasn't long ago, this is fucking five years ago right. probably or something like that. Yeah. And it was absolutely absurd. But what Rick was saying was that it didn't matter if you were a diehard Christian and thought they were going to burn in hell. It didn't matter what your belief was or that just, that's fucking weird. That's weird. I don't want to see it. If you knew someone that was gay, as people started to come out, you might've been friends with that guy at your mm-hmm, office. Mm-hmm. You might've played basketball with him. You had a connection on some level yep. and they became human you saw, fuck, all right, I still think you're going to burn in hell, but I like you, yep. you know, and maybe I'm wrong, 
right? And then there is a some level of acceptance of like, okay, maybe it is okay for you to live your life and that doesn't affect me. And and that, that pulls back another layer of connection where it's like, fuck, you know, we are all in this together. And it's mm-hmm. very easy for me to be like, that's absurd. I mean, I grew up in the fucking Bay Area. Like it's, it's fucking course. absurd to have an opinion about who fucks who. Yeah. Absolutely absurd. But for a lot of people who didn't grow up that way and grew up with that embedded in them, like, you know, that's faggot stuff. And you got some diehard dad and coach and everyone you know who's a male role model telling you, don't act like that. Don't do this. Yep. You know, and there's guilt around it. That's a different experience too, you know? And I think is, well, that's the wisdom right there, right? In order to create any kind of, in order to have an impact, you have, need to have a point of contact. If you don't have a point of contact, you're not going to impact anybody. You're not going to have... And so have that entry. And the entry is not, you know, a strategy like, oh, I'm going to become friend with this person. So then I'm going to convince. It's not, if you do it that way, you're just an asshole and it probably doesn't work anyway. Mm-hmm. But to do it as a, okay, what do we have in common here? What is that we can, what is that we can find a way to be human with each other? Because from there, any discussion we're going to have from that point forward gets easier. Because now we have something where I'm not going to talk to you like I just want to prove that I'm right and beat you into submission. I'm going to talk to you like somebody that I like and I happen to disagree with. That's a very different conversation. My tone will be different. My willingness to listen to you will be different. And vice versa, your willingness to listen to me will be different. Because it's like, hey, this is a person I like. He's not my enemy. He's my friend who happened to have different ideas. Let's talk this out, which I think is what, one of the huge problems with social media communication that is not happening face-to-face. And it's not just that people are scared that if you insult them, they're going to beat you up. It's not just that, right? But that communication is so much more than the words we use. So that the body language, the smile that somebody has in saying something, all the 10,000 other things that allow you to click with somebody. Maybe you still disagree with their words, but there's something where it's easier to create the contact with somebody from which then you can build from. Whereas when you're just typing on the net, it gets real easy to be nasty without feeling that there's really another human there. This is not a human. This is somebody, he's a representative of ideology X. And it can be you, it can be a different guy, it doesn't matter. I hate ideology X, so I'm just going to pummel you. If I'm dealing with a human being who's, say, please and thank you and open the door, I'm not going to communicate the same way. You know, you may have the same ideas, but I'm going to approach it differently. And I think it's so important to remember as we move in a direction that's more, Hmm. where communication is more physically removed, where you're not sitting with somebody in the same room. It's hard because nobody does it, but it's so key. Like I'm making, I've been you know, I think because we all, like all social media stuff is also new. All the fact communicating at high speed across the world via computer is such a new thing. They were still figuring out how to do it. And so I've made every possible mistake in the book in that regard, like we all have, right? Because it's like, <laughs> we don't you, know block. what the hell. Of course, right? <laughs> but like to me, <clears throat> a lot of my attitude on that is becoming, look, if we are going to try to have a conversation that's pleasant with one another, Great, let's do that. If the if you decide that you want to take the conversation in a way where clearly there's not going to be a positive outcome and we want to keep it that way, well, then suddenly I actually have the like I always wanted to talk to everybody. Now I'm just like I have zero problem now pushing the block button, not because 
because this is not you're not entering that discussion with an attitude that's going to allow us to do it and one of us can do it is not enough first of all i have to be willing to do it but also you have to too because if it's not happening it's not happening you know and it's like and then it becomes just a waste of time to me it's like i'll talk to anybody in if it's just about having different opinions yeah doesn't bother me a bit the second you take the wrong tone we're done i don't I don't want to be part of that conversation no more. That just comes so, down to don't waste my time. Yeah, right? exactly. Like what we invest ourselves in, that 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 really paints the picture of our experience. Like what am I devoting myself to learning? What am I devoting myself to my time? I like that the new iPhones have like, this is how long you're on social media. This is how long you're on text. Right. It's like right in your face. Yep. Like I can just swipe the home screen and then, oh shit, I've been on Instagram for an hour today. That's not a good look. Yeah. Whatever the case <laughs> is. But, you know, if, and I, I certainly coming to on it where, you know, I'm on their social media, which is fucking magnified compared to my own personal accounts, you know, like that's a big difference. Right. And there are a lot of Rogan fans and there's a lot of, I'm a Rogan fan. So don't get pissed if I say that, but I'm just saying like, there's a lot of people who are looking to jump the gun, like, Oh, that's fucking snake oil. You're a quack, you know? And if that's, if that's the tone, I don't need to try to convince you. Otherwise I'm not going to waste my time with that. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, 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 more valuable for me if someone disagrees with me and says like, Hey, I think stress is a different thing than you think it is like, okay, well, look, I'm not making this up. This is where I get my opinion from. Check out these two books. You know, usually that's, that's enough for people to be like, well, I'm not going to read those, but thank you. (laughs) You Or, or thanks dude. I'm going to check it out. I'm buying this one today. Right. You know, like whatever that is, it's, it's the layer of how we speak to one another. And that's to Rogan's credit, something he talks about, like we, should be teaching the need for kindness. Mm-hmm. We should, and we do it with our children. Yep. But like, really hammer that, right? Yep. If we, you and Duncan talk about this uh, peaceful utopia, and when I think about that, it's not a matter of is this possible or not. It's a matter of how do we, how do we construct that? Well, then, well, what does it look like, mm-hmm. right? Sure, you got Maslow's hierarchy. Everyone's fed. Everyone has clean water. Everyone has shelter. Outside of that. People are kind to one another. They're compassionate. They give a fuck. Yep. They communicate well. Yep. They, they, there are certain things, right, that are staples in living a good life. And I think if we understand those and we try to cultivate those practices, that's where we see the magic. I 100% agree. And I think to throw a curve on that, but completely agree, right? But just how do you deal like let's say you decide to be the kind you decide to be kind in your interaction because it makes you happy it makes you feel better about yourself it makes you feel better about how other people it works better right you get it you want your tone you want your attitude you want your vibe to be that way as you put it you run into the one that just a brick wall right where mm-hmm. it's just there's not going to be now is there a way for you to get through maybe i'm not going to say no maybe there is but it's going to take so much time and energy right? And for that's, one that, person. You can that let is go like, of that need to be right or the exactly. need to convince that person, right? I don't need to convince you kindness and, and yeah. compassion are the way and yeah. un- unconditional love. I don't need to convince you of that. It's, it's similar to psychedelics. I'm not trying to tell the whole world to do psychedelics, but if sure. those that are ready, yeah. let me tell you there's a right way and a wrong way to do anything. Here's how we cultivate better experiences where we can actually learn and grow, yeah. right? So... <clears throat> If somebody disagrees with me in face-to-face or online and they're an asshole about it, the way I'm kind there is by not engaging. Right. Right? Like, it's it's a dick move of me to 
you know, result to name calling and talking shit online before I eventually block instead of just blocking them right from the jump. Right. Right. If I can but leave the conversation. You've got to scratch that itch. <laughs> like you motherfucker block. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, but that is my act of kindness yeah. in just letting it go. I don't need to be right. Let me block no. you and we'll stop it. The bleeding right there. Yeah. Right. For both of us. And I can move on. Right. And, and the sooner I let go of that, the better I am. If sure. I'm, you know, if I take that to the shitter and I'm sitting on the toilet thinking about that guy 30 minutes later, like that's, that's also an issue too, that I need to work on. Like how quick can I release this and move on? Yep. Um, but I don't need to convince that person that's, that's needing to be right. You know, whether, no matter how much I believe in kindness or compassion and love, yep. it doesn't matter. Right. Those that are ready will listen. And that's the same thing, you know, going back to the beginning of your podcast with Duncan, where you lost 80% of your listeners <laughs> while growth he was going down, right? The ones who stick, that's great. You sure. know? If I talk about <clears throat> being gay is not a fucking problem. It's really not. Love is love. It shouldn't fucking offend you. And it does offend you that I'm saying this right now. Have a good one, pal. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm like, it's like, I'm it's sorry, cool, man. It's, it's been great. I hope you've you've gotten some of it. Hopefully, even if it does rub you the wrong way, you can say, you know what? I disagree. I disagree with you, but everything else you say, I like, I like a certain amount of it. So I'm still gonna listen. That takes a special person, right? But that's funny that that takes because you're right. That it, but it's funny that it does take a special person because it's not exactly a genius level concept. It's like, okay, I like a lot of what you put forward. I happen to really disagree on this opinion. Now, if the opinion happens to be, should we murder children or not? Then yes, okay, maybe that one opinion is important enough that that's a, yeah. it's a deal breaker. But if it's most other opinions on earth, who cares? Yeah, okay, we disagree, so what? What's the big deal? It's like I still, and I find it funny when uh, people don't have that ability to separate. Whereas like, in that case, if you believe that gays are okay, then I cannot listen to another word you ever say mm -hmm. about anything. And it's like, wow, okay, on that note, that's a little weird. The, the fact that the ability to disagree and yet be willing to take the good that you find in somebody else's message is a special thing. That's a bit of a weird commentary of where we're at, <laughs> you yeah. know, where the yeah. average is, because it's like that it's should be for sure. That should be a baseline, you yeah. know. And yeah. the fact that it's not, that fact that it actually is kind of special, is like wow. Okay, that's the those are the cards we're playing with. Yeah. Well, I think you know the more podcasts like yours and mine and Rogan's and Aubrey's and all these people that are putting out good information, you know, it's like they're. People are listening, you know, that that's growing too, right? And as parents, what do we cultivate mm -hmm. in the generations to come, right? Or is it so many, I mean, being in the Bay Area, I had so many friends that had kids before me that fucking loved their jobs and they hired an au pair or a fucking yep. nanny and just outsourced the fucking raising of their children yep. so they could both work and have the expensive home. And it's like, what are you doing here? I know. Don't have the fucking kids. You yeah. know what I'm saying? The most important years of their life the most transformative the most impressionable mm -hmm. piece of that you're not going to be a part of that i know right so think about those things it fucking matters yeah you know it really matters because they, they are they, i think um what's the guy's name neil cabron he's a poem um fuck i can't believe i'm messing up his name he has a he has a series of poems maybe it'll come to me by the end of this cabron he talks about um, 
parents are the archers who hold the bow and our children are the arrows. Mm. And the aim we take takes them into the projection. We won't see the future. Sure. They're the future, but we shoot them in the direction that they'll go, how far they go into the future. Right. Right. So we set that path for them. Right. That's far different than my child is a, a prop from my Instagram. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which or or is, these trophy kids of. like, oh, my son's going to play in the NFL. He's running out patterns from five years old. Yeah. Right. Well, no, yeah. dude. Does he like it? Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, that's an hour 15 already, amazingly. Cool. Flying past. So we get close to, to wrapping it up. I was wondering, we have a friend that's been on a couple times that's a veteran that's getting a lot of success helping guys dig their way out of PTSD with psilocybin. Have you had any experience with uh, sessions like that yet? With uh, I've worked with veterans that were just friends or friends of friends, you know, but not like on a large scale. Uh, I think what Rick Doblin's doing with PTSD and psychoassisted therapy with MDMA, that's for sure going through. They're in phase three, three trials right now. Nice. 2022 is, is the estimated year where they think they'll have clinics available for that. So, that's very promising. Uh, psilocybin will be looked at for that too. If it, I think they're already looking at it now at Johns Hopkins, but um, you know, in terms of like my approach working with people, like yeah, I've I've seen huge benefit there. But it also comes down to who's ready. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of people on paper. I had a, I'll just my buddy that I can talk about here. He doesn't mind me talking about it. Um, Israeli Army guy, you know, from the jump, you know, you're going to go into that. It's, it's guaranteed. Yeah. And he did ayahuasca with me and he relived watching his friend die right in front of him. And so, and he had, you know, the guy was telling him before they went out on the mission, I don't want to go out. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And he said, no, I'm going first. The sniper will shoot me. You're two guys behind me. If he misses me, he's going to hit the second in line. You're not going to, you're not going to die. And of course his buddy dies. So he relives that experience. And that's just one thing, right? Uh -huh. If you've been in combat for many years, there's fucking countless things that can come up for you. It really takes, uh, it's not just I'm willing to face this and like this kind of male, young yeah. fucking, I'm going to just go through it and dig this shit out with a knife. It's like, no, there, there is that. Mr. Bolelli knows really well that approach and it works so well for me. It takes, it takes that, it takes Wu Wei. It mm. takes the dance of some stuff may come up and I'm going to move with it and I'm not going to hold on to it and I'll see what it's telling me. Right. And then the right person there to say like, Oh, you're seeing this because you still need to release it. You know, yeah. and you acknowledge that it's there, but that's not the same as letting go of it. That's not the same as, as surrendering to it, you know, and really just being at peace with it. Mm -hmm. It's ultimately what we all fucking or centering with it or repackaging or yeah. all those things. Yeah. It's just, we've created this massive amount of folks that are stuck with this and it's just nice and it looks like we will have some sort of tools we're gonna have tools for sure to help them for out sure because we saw what happened to the vietnam guys they're still on the street corner yeah left their own devices and we can't possibly do that with this new crop yeah because it's our duty to take care of one another yeah i hope for the good of all brother exactly. <laughs> yeah fuck yeah cool man anything else you want to jump in no nothing Nothing. Well, you can follow me at Kings Boo uh, from, from your listeners. Where can people follow you? Uh, the, I think 
Twitter is the, my initial, the letter D and then the last name, Bolelli, B-O-L-E-L-L-I. -L -L um, I just created an Instagram. I don't even remember what it is, so I'll have to look at it. But, you know, the, gods, are, the, the gods of Google are usually good. You know, you Google. type somebody's name, everything pops up. So it's I'll have all that shit linked to the show notes on my end for you Sweet. so where people can find you. And, and obviously, I'll your do podcast is amazing. So this is cool. My first... First double release that I've ever done. I've Sweet. heard this done on other shows, so this will be dope, man. That's going to be fun. Yeah. Awesome. Nice. Thank you, brother. Thanks so much. Thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you follow us online, that you hit us up and let us know what you think of the podcast. And go over to The Drunken Taoist. If you're not there already, subscribe to that shit. It's phenomenal. Check out History on Fire. Also, make sure you go to onit.com slash podcast for 10% off all supplements and food products. Thanks for tuning in.